the theme for the uh, afternoon talk is uh, um, liberation and the question of identity and I'd like to uh, explore the theme uh, with you from uh, a shall we say a Dharma perspective um, just before um, uh, coming in here, while you were uh, sitting in here with uh, Leela, a reporter from a magazine in uh, Israel called Time Out, perhaps some of you know of this, one or two heads go this way, some go this way, um, uh, t uh, telephoned, and it seems that um, she had heard that I, w I don't know where actually, but so speaking in Israel, uh, uh, where am I? Any idea where I'm talking? Tel Aviv? Okay. So, um, I see Tovina invites me like lamb to the slaughter. Right? They, they, <laughs> they take me no, there, no, very bad. They take me here, they take me there, and I, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, wicked, wicked, <laughs> terrible. And um, so she rang up and heard that uh, I w would be uh, speaking on Memorial d uh, Day uh, uh, quite soon and she had some uh, questions to ask me about my uh, visit uh, here and some views of coming to this country for nearly 20 years uh, now uh, there and it was a, hopefully a fruitful exchange there but I must say just very quickly here cover myself that um, I'm an old newspaper reporter and we had uh, um, for daily newspapers and Associated Press and ABC Radio many lifetimes ago it seems and there were two one-liners that went around the office quite regularly one was never let the truth stand in the way of a good story <laughs> and, um, and, and the second was uh, we've made up our mind please don't confuse us with the facts <laughs> So this is, most reporters will know these two one-liners. So please remember when you read the article. <laughs> I'm sure she did a lovely record. <laughs> so in speaking, speaking uh, 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 with her, um, I touched directly, indirectly, on the areas and the issues of um, identity. And a little bit um, referring to the past and being as today as you know if I get the pronunciation forgive me Yom HaShoah yes, uh, uh, day, and such a, an important day in the life of the world Jewish community and of course in the life of the Jewish community uh, here in, here in is Israel and being an Englishman and being a small student of history and the uh, use of the past, of memory, as we were speaking a little bit uh, 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 yes ye yesterday evening, um, one of the features of the country that I'm uh, born in um, is its tendency, a very strong one, towards war. And this tendency towards war has made it the country on this earth which has been more at war than any other nation on the earth in the last 1,000 years. It's approximately 
Uh, one uh, Russian historian did the research for this. It's approximately 56 years out of every 100 years uh, the British, especially the English, have been at war. And when um, I was um, leading the, the pilgrimage, the Yatra in France, uh, I think it was just last summer, uh, we had uh, an Israeli um, television producer uh, on the walk uh, uh, with us. It's an international walk, perhaps you know, 100 people who walk, men, women and children. And, it, and we were talking about conflict, global conflicts, and the region here, other parts of the world. And he said to me, well, of course, um, you haven't been, you, the, the English, you haven't been at war um, since the Second World War. And I went, what? You know, the, the thought could even arise out of a person who's, you know, clearly well-informed. I mean, he works in news, he works in the media. And um, currently, we have British troops in Iraq, we have British troops in Afghanistan. The body bags come home yeah. weekly. We uh, have been... Uh, subjected because of uh, the IRA terrorism for it stopped now of course a few years ago for 20 or 30 years with consistent attacks uh, of acts of terror on mainland uh, England they once fired a rocket into 10 Downing Street where the entire British government of cabinet ministers were meeting and it missed the room by a few meters and if it and if the target had hit the room it would have wiped out the entire cabinet they attempted to blow up um, a complete hotel in Brighton in the 1980s, was in the time of the Margaret Thatcher uh, government. Violence and war and terror has been a consistent part of British life. It, it never, has not stopped in my entire lifetime. And there's something deeply disturbing about it, deeply disturbing that one can live in a country where there is so much uh, 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 violence, whether international uh, on our streets and domestic violence uh, there, under the veneer that the English are civilized. <laughs> there. Sometimes I go, another aspect of uh, all, all, all of this, and uh, look into it. I, g I mentioned to the reporter today that I go to Germany uh, four times a uh, a year. We have our Dharma facilitators programs, we have retreats there and uh, uh, various uh, events and meetings and so, and so forth. And I've been going there reg regularly, probably now 30 years now, uh, to Germany. And of course the history of England and Germany is you know, a terrible history. And I said to the uh, reporter two, 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 two things because she said Given that today, and uh, the remembrance, and the absolute horror of what uh, 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 took place, I said, I travel a lot. I travel to countries that have been in wars and have been in world wars there. And it's still, I have to say, deeply troubling in the psyche in Germany. In England, we've rarely mentioned World War II, I have to say. And I go to France, it's rarely mentioned. And go, when I was in Holland and, and go to uh, other uh, s 
Sweden or Denmark or Italy or the United States or Canada or Australia. It's, you know, it's really mentioned. But on retreats and in various programs in Germany, it seems to come up. It seems to be a point. And mostly around the theme of how could these previous generations have done this? How could so many have stayed silent? And silence is usually you know, fear, of course, with it. How could that have happened there? And, that, and it just comes out in the, in the meditations, in the day, it's, it, it's there. And once, with a very uh, good friend of uh, Tovena, a very, very, very dear friend of uh, mine, uh, uh, Shelley, I think she's fine for me to say, she said to me just a few years ago, and this is still around the issue of identity, um, that she hadn't been, hadn't been to, uh, to uh, Germany, and she really felt, because of the past and the images and, you know, and everything, that she really needed to go for, for herself. And I thought it listened to her, thought it was important, and, and take some courage to get past the images of identity, in this case German identity, and she came she, there. And where we were, at a place called the Wald House Retreat Centre, which is a retreat centre in the forest, not... 500 meters away was an abandoned school for the training of Nazi children, dilapidated condition, with the graffiti that people have put in over the years, and it's overgrown, but there it stands, there, a kind of disgusting m memorial, not memorial, but disgusting building to, uh, to the horror, obscenity of what what took place in, uh, in Europe and, and in the uh, Holocaust. And she's there in the, in the retreat, I don't know how many, maybe say 40 participants, on the, on the, all Germans uh, there. But just the sharing that took place was a kind of reconciliation which allows the images, the pictures, the word German, to lower, say, huh, people. The identity softened. And the second point I, um, <coughs> I made today with the uh, reporter was that one also, as part of lowering the identity of, the perception of, this is outwardly for the moment, is that the war ended in 1945. That means it, it's now 2010. That is 65 years ago. So even the, the, the soldiers, there are not many left, they're probably maybe probably 20 years of age, maybe a few under, whatever. <laughs> they will be 85 now. So in the 90, what should we say, 99% of them long dead, gone, or there. And it's vitally important in, on a day like today and any other, other day that to use um, uh, religious language for the moment, the sins of the f grandfathers, for mostly, even maybe fathers in some cases, the sins of the fathers or the grandfathers are not passed on. That the number of living actively in involved in the most horrendous nightmares of world history it was that, those people at that time of that and of that generation.
And when um, Shelley came, and uh, as uh, uh, she said, she said to me, one or two of her friends said to her, "What are you going to Germany for? They're fascists there. It's the identity, the memory, the blame, but it doesn't belong to the living." It's another time, another period. And it's because we, as creatures, as human beings, it's terribly easy to carry the past as if the sons and the daughters and the children and the grandchildren are there, is the same as over those generations. Not, it's not the same people. And this, and this you know, it happens in England as well. You know, there are people that... I don't know where they're living, but they're not living in, in any intelligence in England. And there are people in England who will not buy Japanese cars and Japanese goods because of the, the Japanese uh, treatment of prisoners of war in, in Japan. But those men who brutally treated prisoners of war in, in Japan, they're long gone current generation has changed but the past hasn't moved still holding to the past and this is one of the dangers of identity that sometimes we have a picture and in the the picture the idea the memory that comes but not only do we do it in those generalizations we do it with each other we do it with each other you know and so sometimes we've We've had a, a communication with somebody. It might, might, might be married to the person. You know, it might be a friend or a colleague or, um, or um, a companion or a relative or a parent or whatever. I mean, and it's very difficult. This, this is obviously much more subtle level than what I just referred to. But it, it's very, very difficult. And so the two people have an argument. Whinging, whinging, blaming, fault finding, it's always you. Da, 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 da. And then that, there is the heat and the agitation and the fault finding and the uh, aggression or the attack or whatever. And for one or other, it leaves an impression. So we have to watch this with ourselves. There is the heat, the anger, the blame, it's heat, we're burning up about something. And then the conversation is over. I'm sure most of us, unless we're saints, have all experienced this. And the conversation is over. And when the conversation is over and the heat has gone out, we're left with an impression of the person. And that impression gives the person a particular identity. And the identity could be, oh, they're such a negative person. A few of the other one-liners, what else would be? Oh, uh, he or she is just a control freak. Um, he or she, they always have to have their own way. Um, and then when it goes like, like that, we carry the picture and the image and the image. Or he or she is such a selfish person, or such a greedy person, or such an uncaring person. It all labels are giving the person the identity. But we're carrying it. 
and we actually believe this is really who the person is. We've defined them, we've put them in the box, we've put them in the coffin, we've nailed it, you are like this. And when we have that picture, that uh, projection onto the person, when we see the person the next time, we cannot help but see the person through the memory. We do it with groups and we do it with individuals. And, and we've given the person an identity and we are so foolish to believe that our view of the person is how she is because of an incident. But human beings are much more complicated. Nobody fits the box. And so when it's like that, sometimes we say, I'm not going to speak to him ever again. I'm not going to talk to him. I was in Germany just a, a little while ago and um, one woman said to me, she said, she had a very, very good friend. I mean, very good friend. So they decided to have a break from work and just have a nice weekend together. These people just went away for a weekend together. Really good, close friend. She is. And then at the breakfast on the Monday uh, morning, they were finishing this, the weekend together in the countryside. No, sorry, in the Sunday evening. Work for them was on the Monday. And they had a disagreement. Nothing heavy, nothing. Just a little, you know, as we say in English, the ship's passing in the night. Just, it just didn't connect at that point. And then at breakfast they talked about it. And this friend of mine said she felt it was all over, it was finished. And they left and gave each hug, a hug and said goodbye, and etc. A day later, she received a text from her friend, so it was very short. I never want to see you again. Don't try and contact me. End of story, like that. I never want to see you again. Don't try and contact me. And my friend could not comprehend why, but it was just this little disagreement and they discussed it at breakfast and before they went left to come back to the city for work, it seemed all over with. They couldn't, she couldn't get it there. And, uh, and I, in that, I, I said, take no notice of the second line. She asked me, I said, take no Just send a brief, loving, short message to the person that if ever she wishes to have some contact that you remain open. That's all. Nothing else. And leave it, leave it, leave it like that. So sometimes, I use it as a small example in life of identity, of grabbing a situation, experience, unpleasant experience in this case, forming the view about it, and that really affecting how we relate. For some it's withdrawal, or for others it's fear and suspicion. And when that um, fear or suspicion ar arises, there's already a block. So when we speak here of letting go of the past, 
It's not in some um, absolute way. It's letting go, in this case, of holding to an identity which is blocking us from seeing clearly. This is what is meant by letting go of the past. Letting go of grasping onto an identity which generates a problem, which generates a problem for oneself or for other or us and them. And that relationship to the past, very, very important one, and, and today and around this uh, world, people will be, hopefully, will be reflecting and, and, there, and, and recalling and remembering and being touched by events. And it's important and it's valuable. You know, as, as said, you know, not from the Jewish community or tradition, but when I've been in Israel and one has heard the siren going through and sometimes just been on the, on the streets and just standing there, I had tears in my eyes and uh, of, of what a whole community of people have had to endure and have to, have to, to suffer through. And I do feel it's important. People say, oh, drop it, let it go, we move on, etc. But I take a different view. I, I take a view the heart needs to be touched. It needs to be touched. And in our being touched by the events of the, of the past and to feel that, that hopefully it has some opening aspect to it, that we can sense and feel what others near and far may be enduring the crisis that he, she, they may be going through, the circumstances of, the, of uh, their life. And if that happens, then there's something invaluable about being touched. Invaluable from the past that we somehow reaches us in such a way. So, whoa, in what way can I contribute to love and wisdom and awareness and, and, di and dialogue? <coughs> and... And the other small point I just mentioned um, to the reporter as well, uh, and I've mentioned this um, time to time um, here in coming here and, and uh, elsewhere as well, we, and, and that is the importance of dialogue. My mantra is words, not war. Every time, you know, I'm totally committed to the power of language and the heart's relationship to dialogue, to the discourse. And... After the Second uh, World War, you know, politicians can make all the decisions that they like. You know, the, uh, the Nazis were finished, there, there was a surrender, but that doesn't necessarily stop all the hatred and all the terror and all, and all that took place just because a war is over and, and one side is surrendered and the other side is, wins the victory uh, there. And there was some realization that took place about this in uh, Europe in 1945 and subsequently to it there. And of course, worldwide, 50 million deaths, 20, 25 million uh, Russians, and of course, uh, millions of others. And what took place was the necessity for dialogue. And the dialogue that took place was what we call the twinning of towns, cities, and villages in and around Europe with Swiss and German and uh, Austrian and Hungarian and many other towns and around Europe and they twinned which meant that visitors and dignitaries and local government officials and the business community and the church leaders and ordinary citizens 
were moving backwards and forwards, especially between Germany and other countries, to help reconcile in a Europe which was flattened by the war, especially uh, uh, England and uh, Germany, Europe was absolutely flattened by the war, that communication started. And that was probably, the, for me, the, for my reading of history, the most significant event that took place after the war. That we towns and cities started to twin with these other towns, and that movement of people, backwards and, and forwards, small groups going on trains and buses and planes and connecting, uh, helped the bridging of the gap. And I say this as a small uh, uh, point here, because sometimes that also has to take place for us. And the aspect of that is, in the Dharma perspective, is that the human being, matter is not the label. Matters more than the label. That's all. And when one lovely Indian person that I know, Satish, Satish Kumar, it's a jewel, a very sweet man, dear friend, many, many years, who's the um, editor of Resurgence, which is a great magazine. And he walked from India. The other day I told you about the bicycle ride. So 40 years ago, he walked from India to England. He didn't quite walk on the water a bit, but you know, about the rest of it. And right, right through Pakistan, Afghanistan, and then he walked through southern Russia. They accepted no rides. He walked the whole way uh, uh, there. And um, <coughs> he wrote a book. Surprisingly, the title is called No Destination. Because <laughs> there. And when he was in Pakistan, which has had a lot of wars with India, you know, since the partition, especially over Kashmir and much else. When he was walking through Pakistan, the Pakistani said to him, what are you doing walking through Pakistan? You're an Indian. You're walking through Pakistan. You're Hindu. Well, uh, uh, actually, he's a Jain, one of the, and, uh, and we're, we're Muslim. And he, and he, he said uh, in his Indian, <laughs> forgive, forgive me, Satish. I am, I am not Indian. <laughs> I am not Jain. I am not Hindu. I am a human being. I have no label. <laughs> and there's something kind of precious, <laughs> precious about it. It's, I am not a label. In Dharma language, I am not who I think I am. And what has happened to us, that we so easily grab the identity there and said this is who I am and, 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 and it comes out almost immedi immediately and you know, some people say oh Christopher where are you from and then you know um, I'll say I'm English because it's clearly it's not obvious <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much practice one does, <laughs> I have to say. So, but I am not E-N-G-L-I-S-H. I'm not the word. There's nothing 
Anywhere to show English, even less here. I'm in my Indian kurta. I've got my, I've got my shawl uh, 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 here. So the picture, the image, is part of the discourse. It is part of the description. It is part of the communication. I am Christopher. Hmm? I am... English. Hmm? I am a teacher. Hmm? And then the, the language, I am the father. Hmm? I am the grandfather. Hmm? Whatever. So the language that we use generates a lot of discussion, naturally. Yeah. But I'm not that. And once that sense of that it's not that we all go into the same pot and say well we're all the same this would be a reaction to the listening there but in Dharma language it's to kind of hold it lightly to hold the perception I am Christopher what else did I say I am English and I am a Dharma teacher to, to hold the constructs very, very lightly. Not for any great ethical reason, but much more that if I, so to speak, can get behind my idea of who I am, what I keep telling myself, what I keep telling others, I might actually be able to go a little bit deeper. And when I go a little bit deeper, then something else begins to emerge. Other th factors begin to uh, 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 come out of it. The good lady on the phone, the newspaper uh, uh, reporter, um, um, in um, uh, speaking about this and uh, 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 asking, uh, and the reference I made here was that if I hold tightly Whatever it is, to the view, this is who I am, or alternatively, this is who we are, mm. whatever it might be, religion, the nation state, or the group, or the, 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 the sangha, it's another identity that can be built up. If I hold, the more tightly I hold, the more the none, the other will appear. It's guaranteed. The more tightly I hold, the more important the other will appear. So the more I tightly I hold, um, I am English. I'm English, you know. And we English, we have civilized the world. I mean, this is a, a word of saying colonized. And we English, and we'll build it up in such a way that we'll actually think in the building, somehow or other, we are superior, etc. And the building up of the uh, I am English, I am English, will generate more strongly the non-English. It has to. And then there's us and them. And that is not because of the simple word English. It's because of the building up and the holding and getting it tighter and tighter. And then it gets even more tighter. And then it's 
we white English. We English who speak with an English accent. And it gets narrower and narrower and tighter and tighter and more and more exclusive. And this exploration means that identity gets smaller and smaller. And we're saying, please, let's look at this area of identity. Let's respect its value. Let's see how it contributes to culture and diversity and creativity and religious exploration and philosophy and the arts. We just really expect it. But please don't hold tightly. Because we can't see clearly and we can't even see ourselves clearly. This is a terrible problem. Terrible problem with identity. Of the self or the self in its larger form. Whatever. And when we start to, to look and look a little bit more uh, deeply, because it's, it's, remember, everything is a liberating process, a liberation from clinging and holding and grasping tightly. And when we look a little bit more deeply, sometimes we begin to see in ourselves, very common, this kind of inner movement of the inner life. So we may be holding some of our labels of ourselves and others because we want to see the person and not the label, not the idea of the person, and to see the person fully. And when we look a bit more deeply, one of the two things that shows itself, and there's been a few uh, discussions with you, inquiries in the one-to-ones and exchange taking place, of this movement of for and against, and this one, I touched upon it earlier as well, is an extraordinarily strong one to attend to and deal with. But we want to look, say, what is it that's going on inside of me that's generating the for and against? And the impact that it has on the inner life and the impact it has on, not, on the absence or loss of wisdom. A small example. Yeah. Sometimes we hear or see or meet somebody who is famous. Famous. And for whatever reason, he or she might be, you know, famous, might be a Dalai Lama. It might be a Hollywood celeb or a sports star, or whatever it might be, you know, all these famous people. And, or somebody who seems to be, not famous necessarily, but very successful, or very rich, or who has got it all. Because I read in an American magazine that to be one with everything, one must have one of everything. Very American worldview. <laughs> so sometimes we meet such, you know, such, it's unfortunate, but we do meet such people uh, 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 there. And we had one, I must say, a lovely American, this mildly eccentric. I remember giving a retreat in, um, in California near, near Marin, not. Some, some years ago. And one lady turned up. She was clearly very, very, very wealthy. She arrived with the chauffeur in one of these 
I think it's called a Lincoln Continental. You know, it's about as wide as this room, these cars. I mean, it's a slight exaggeration. But, you know, in metallic blue, it always sticks my mind, with um, an Afro-American chauffeur in uniform in the t- uh, uh, there. And she sits in the back seat, these lush leather seats, and she just waits for him to get out of the car, out of the door. And he walks round, right outside the front door. Can you imagine? So lots of yogis, a hundred yogis around, you know. <laughs> and, she, and he opens the door up. And, thank you. And, and gets out of the car. And when she appeared in the Dharma Hall, you know, there, she had on a, she was probably about 50 years of age, with all the usual little extras, you know, for the face that people do. <laughs> she lived in Beverly Hills. And when she walked into the hall, this lovely, lovely lady, she was wearing, I've never seen it before or since my entire life, a mohair tracksuit. You know, you know what mohair is? Cashmere. Cashmere wool. Cashmere. I mean, it's incredibly expensive, but a tracksuit. <laughs> you know what a tracksuit is? What runners wear, you know, you go jogging, and you, you know, the trousers, you know, and the zip up the front, made of cashmere. And one of my women friends said, Christopher, that cost at least $5,000. <laughs> Uh, etc. So she came on retreat because she wasn't happy. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't. She needs one of her pieces. Eh? Yes, yeah, she needs exactly. She yeah, and she had to have one retreat to add to it. Uh, 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 there. And she, and one of her friends who was on the retreat who encouraged her, you know, she, I've had this eccentric, said that when you went to her house, it's one of these huge houses in Beverly Hills with a huge hall inside and hanging up in the hall was two huge naked paintings of herself in her, in her 20s. Now why, why, it's eccentric isn't it? Why, exact, why would one want large paintings of oneself naked Impermanence. It's a te- I never thought of that. <laughs> it's a teaching. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> world is bad. Anyway, it's nothing to, much to do with the talk, but it just... <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to the theme. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes, in the area of identity, as I say, the for and against uh, uh, goes, and hopefully... I was trying to find a middle way between not, neither being for her or against, but anyway. That sometimes when we build up, as we easily can do, another, and, and, and build up, it may be telling us little about the person. It may be telling us more about where we are. It may be telling us that when we build others up, it may be, ah, I'm putting myself down. This person somehow is more than me. And that makes for a gap. And when we have that gap, that uh, gap, the mind will not be happy with it. We won't know what to do about it 
and the outcome of that it will have to turn its way around. We will have to find persons to put down in order that we can feel better than, more important than. And this loop for and against, building up and putting down, and building up here and putting down there, all conflict and wars all depend on holding to this view. All of them. And what about feeling equal? See, um, on my way, towards the Because I'm not an equality. E it's also not my view either, but I will touch upon that in a moment. So the question of identity in, in that respect, does myself, in the view towards others, if I put others up, build them up, in some way or other, I have a less regard for myself. If I put others down, the probability is I'm building myself up. And this movement, as I say, becomes the loop. And we're trying to find not equality, which is you know the common thread these days, common language in liberal democracy, equality, 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 uh, uh, there. But we're trying to look, in fact, is more deeply than that. And in the uh, looking more, more deeply, am I a comparison? That's all. Am I a comparison? A comparison with, with others there. Am I a comparison with my past? And that also doesn't reveal our nature. And in the comparison with others, comparison with our uh, uh, past, it easily gets used to grasp upon, hold on to, and create yet another picture about ourselves. And we want to see who I am, should I say, or how things are without a picture, without a story, without an idea, without an image, though we are respectful to them in, hum in the human narrative, in history, in her story, in the dynamics, but always respectful, but looking deeper. The problem, I feel, to come back to your good point, the concern I have here in the notion of equality, it just doesn't seem to work. The ideology has been applied. It was called communism. It was called socialism. It was called the left. <coughs> and what we see in the, in the ideologies, people rebel against it. There's something which we rebel against in the equalization of trying to make everybody equal. China tried it, Russia tried it, etc. People don't want to be equalized. It doesn't work. Not that you know, the, the capitalism and the huge gaps works any the better, but it, they don't, to me they don't work, they're based on that. And to look at and see, can I have a relationship with other human beings? which is not being based on for and against, because it will have impact on myself and others. 
is not based on trying to make us all equal, because we're not all equal, That's, there's no evidence for, uh, for that there. So that our relationship to life, there is enough freedom inside, this is a great freedom in life, to appreciate the beautiful qualities that human beings have, to really recognize them in very real terms there, and for that we, we must carry the past, I said very, very lightly, very, very lightly, and equally within ourselves as well to appreciate our qualities. That doesn't mean to say we are feeding the ego. And I mentioned to um, one person today, it's not always easy to find the, the freedom which love or appreciation for the differences and to see them really acknowledge them. And as I mentioned to one person today, that sometimes in the um, uh, inner life that goes, uh, that goes on in this, uh, the constructs uh, that we make, that it can be easier. So if, if we said to ourselves, um, write down in a notebook, after this talk, a list of things that you don't like about yourself. Let's write down a list. You can borrow some pen and paper from Abigail there and write, 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 write down a list of things you don't like about yourself. Probably, most of us could write down a whole load of things. We, we might run out of notebooks, etc. And if one said, write down that which you appreciate about yourself, oh my God. And some people would have a job thinking, thinking of things. They, oh, they write down, they go, you know, oh, oh yes, I like this about myself, I like that. And then suddenly one starts to dry up. There's some kind of tendency sometimes that it's easier to find fault with ourselves, to see all that's wrong with ourselves, how everything should be better by now. And that view blinds us, it's the block to seeing what we recognize and appreciate. And sometimes when somebody is sharing their love towards us and uh, expressing something, and that person may be expressing gratitude, which is a beautiful thing to express, and appreciation, and kindness, and dana, and uh, uh, expressing uh, Forgive, asking for forgiveness or taking steps to give support. And sometimes when we are carrying the picture or the image of the gestures of love towards us, the thought easily can arise either, one, they don't mean it, they must want something, etc. What's the motive? See, there's only judge. We can't hear the love, we've already got, we decided something, they want something, it's, it's, it's a manipulation, they're really after something, etc. Or, the other is, if it goes to oneself, if they really knew me, they would never express any appreciation. <laughs> they don't know me, etc. And if they really, really got to know me, they'd be out of my life like a rocket. So sometimes the movement of the comparing and the identity, and therefore we say, can we be in life three from four and against? 
free from trying to impose equality on everything and everybody uh, there, free to open up the heart, and in opening up the heart, be able to express and find appreciation and love in all sorts of directions and in all manner of ways. All sorts of directions and in all manner of ways. And sometimes, as you well know and as I well know, um, the, we're in the meditations and sometimes a person or group, whoever, wherever, comes up in the meditations, comes up in the day. And we know we've got an issue uh, with him, with her, with them, whatever it may, all manner of things they may arise. And that picture, that image, that uh, impact uh, upon us, that sometimes is where the practice has to be. Am I going to go on holding to this picture of this person or group or does something really have to change? If so, what is the change that's going to allow me to find enough freedom, enough sense of liberation of awareness to look in a fresh way? And sometimes reconciliation, action, kindness, the capacity to let go, express a forgiveness, make an apology, or whatever, uh, is something which is you know, very, very deep for a human being to, to do that. And it may be, as I mentioned, sometimes a person comes up in their life, in our life, and then just that. My daughter said to me, do you have a problem with anybody, Dad? And I went, no, I don't think so. And at the moment, you know, I couldn't, nobody came there. And then she said, oh, yes, you do. And then she named somebody. She said, I was in the kitchen and I heard you talking about somebody. And uh, you were critical. You've got a problem with this person, Dad. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about it before. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, etc. So sometimes we think, oh, you know, we love the world, everybody's happy, you know, etc. And then sometimes we, we need our kids, <laughs> you know, we, to, to point something out to us that we're not quite clear about inside of ourselves. And, <coughs> You know, the, the, the master, the guru, has landed in the, the form of the daughter, you know, or the, or the neighbor, uh, or, or, or whatever. The, you know, the gurus come in many disguises. When it's the daughter's case, heavily disguised, I have to say. <laughs> so... The freeing of the being up, just in summary here, the freeing of the, of the being up, it is, there's an ethic to it, of course. We don't want to be aggressive and violent and, and negative. But we're, even without the ethic, I want to see clearly. I don't want to live in just pictures and ideas and images, because there's no substance there. I don't want to live like that and think that's how it is. And that interest to engage in the dialogue and in the inquiry open, opens things up and one feels a certain uh, expansiveness.
expansiveness. And um, and sometimes, when you know, all of us, some of you are in you know kind of public life, public life meaning doing acts on behalf of others. It's a public life. The the good uh, uh, staff here and. Uh, uh, have our guardian angel uh, here and and many others. It's a public service. It's a service on behalf of of, uh, of people, and it's a very uh, precious and a very very important one. And anyone in any kind of public service knows at times we get misunderstood, you know, and praise can come one ear and blame and the other. And it's a real challenge for all of us at times just to learn to just to to be steady. Keep the the values and the priorities which are uh, uh, important, and to recognise that sometimes we have our own struggles. Sometimes others have their own struggles. There, sometimes it's a challenge for all uh, all of us. And that keeping of the wisdom, the keeping of the uh, clarity, the expression of love and uh, appreciation and the, the power of that and with recognition of diversity. The importance of the recognition of diversity. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into identity. May all beings live a liberated life and recognize the wonder of diversity. <laughs>